in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse number 8, the Apostle Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Over in James chapter 2, in James 2, and in verse 17, James says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In verse 24, he says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with those verses? What are we going to do with those verses that are found in the Bible? I ask you that because a lot of people say that Paul and James are teaching conflicting things. They say that Paul and James are teaching contradictory things in the Bible. On one hand, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that salvation is not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And on the other hand, James says that faith without works is dead and we're justified by works and not by faith alone. For a lot of people, they say that what you find right there is a clear example of a contradiction in the Bible. They say that's a clear example of the Bible writers teaching conflicting things. The question is, are they right? Do they have a point or works necessary for our salvation or not? As we begin trying to find the right answer to that question, let me begin by saying a few very important things that we need to consider. First, let me begin by saying that the Bible, the Bible cannot be the inspired word of God if it has contradictions. Would you agree with that this morning? You would agree that the Bible can't be the inspired word of God. If it has contradictions, I mean, that just wouldn't make any kind of sense. It wouldn't make any kind of sense for the one who made the sun and the moon and the stars to have a word that is full of contradictions. It wouldn't make any kind of sense for God, the creator, to not be able to preserve his word. It wouldn't make any kind of sense for someone who's supposed to be all powerful and all knowing and from everlasting to everlasting to have a word that is full of errors and problems and blunders. No, if the Bible is really the word of God, if it's really coming from somebody who's perfect, then guess what? It's got to be perfect. It's got to be flawless. It can't have any blunders, any problems, any contradictions. In fact, I submit that every alleged contradiction that people believe is found in the Bible can be easily solved and remedied if we execute something called the law of harmony. The law of harmony. You ever heard of the law of harmony before? The law of harmony is a basic rule for good Bible study. And it's actually something that Jesus appealed to when combating the devil in Matthew chapter 4. And so please go on your Bible to Matthew chapter 4 with me this morning. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, after the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and he became hungry. In verse number 3 of Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, And the tempter came. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, command 
that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written, the man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, that is Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And in verse 7, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you see what Jesus does there when combating the devil in the wilderness? In addition to using the word of God to combat the devil on this occasion, notice how Jesus harmonizes the word of God. Jesus exposes the devil's misuse of the word of God. In verse number four, after the devil challenged Jesus to prove himself to be the son of God by turning stones into bread, Jesus told him something very, very powerful in that verse. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice what Jesus says about the word of God there. Jesus says that the word of God, every part of the word of God is important. Every part of the word of God is critical, it is vital, it all must be considered. Jesus says that the word of God is something that must be studied in its totality. This is something that a lot of people fail to do when it comes to a text like Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. You see, when it comes to Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, what a lot of people like to do is they like to go to that text and say, well, the Apostle Paul says there that a man cannot ju be justified by works, and that settles the matter. That ends the discussion. That's all the Bible has to say about this matter. When people go to Ephesians 2 and make that conclusion, what they are doing is they're using the Bible like the devil did. They're using the Bible in the same way as Satan. Going back to the text, notice how Satan also uses the word of God. In verse number six, notice how the devil, when talking with Jesus, he begins to talk about the Bible. And he says, from the 91st Psalm, he's quoting from the 91st Psalm here, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice how the devil here the devil here quotes from the Bible. Do you see that? He quotes from the 91st Psalm, and he accurately quotes from the 91st Psalm. He accurately quotes from the Bible here, but he doesn't accurately apply the Bible here. He doesn't accurately interpret the Bible here. Jesus points that out. When he quotes in the next verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7, Jesus answered him, on the other hand, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you see what Jesus is doing by quoting scripture back to the devil? Notice how by quoting from the from Deuteronomy chapter 6, what Jesus is saying to the devil is he's saying to Satan, Satan, you're violating the law of harmony. 
He is saying, Satan, you're misusing the word of God. You are causing verses in the word of God to conflict with each other because you're not considering all God has to say about the verses that you're quoting from. Jesus appeals to the law of harmony when combating the devil's misuse of Psalm 91. And I want to appeal to the very same thing today when pointing out people's abuse of Ephesians 2. Verses eight and nine. You see, today, since there are a lot of people who suggest that there is there is teaching in the Bible from the Apostle Paul that says that there are no works involved in our salvation. I want to open up the Bible and see, is that really the case? Is Paul really teaching that in Ephesians chapter two? I mean, in the Bible, do we really have one Bible writer teaching something that contradicts another Bible writer? Do we really have the Apostle Paul teaching something that contradicts what James says? Are there really no works of any kind involved in our salvation? If we're going to correctly determine what both Paul and James are teaching in their respective texts, what we need to do this morning is we need to do what Jesus did when he resisted the devil. We need to harmonize the text. We need to consider all that the text of Scripture has to say about this matter. We need to understand that when we study the Bible in its totality, one of the things we learn very quickly is there are many different kind of works mentioned in the Bible. There are many different kind of works that are mentioned in the Word of God. For example, go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2, please. Go to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be reading from Galatians later on this year in our Bible reading. And in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse number 16, in verse number 16 of Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not, notice, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Notice how in that verse, the Apostle Paul talks about works. Paul talks about works in that verse, but in this verse, he's talking about, he is talking about works of the law. He's talking about works of the Old Testament law of Moses. He is saying that the works of the Old Testament law of Moses cannot justify us. They cannot save us. They cannot grant us forgiveness of sins. This was something that Paul's original audience at this time, they really needed to hear that. You see, Paul's original audience here, the Christians 2,000 years ago, they really needed to hear what Paul said there because there were a lot of Jewish false teachers who were teaching them the opposite. There were a lot of Jewish false teachers at this time telling Gentile Christians Gentile Christians that in addition to obeying the gospel, in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ, they also needed to become Jews. They also needed to keep the law. They needed to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Paul says that's not the will of God at all. Paul says that under the new covenant, the new covenant instituted by Jesus, Christians do not have to perform works of the law. 
Christians do not have to be circumcised. Christians do not have to keep the Ten Commandments or tithe or observe feast days or sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves. Paul says that the works of the law do not lead to justification. They do not lead to salvation and forgiveness of sins because the fact of the matter is no one could ever keep the law perfectly. No one could ever perform the law perfectly. The only one to ever do that is Jesus Christ. And Paul says that if we could be justified and saved by perfect law giving, then the death of Jesus on the cross, it was pointless. It was totally unnecessary. That's what he says in verse number 21 of that same chapter. And so by studying context, we learn that sometimes when we study the Bible as a whole, we see that sometimes when the Bible talks about works, it's talking about works of the Old Testament law of Moses. And other times it's talking about what you find in Galatians 5. Look at Galatians 5, please. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse number 19, in Galatians 5 and verse 19, Paul says, now the deeds... Or the works of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So notice, again, Paul talks about works. He talks about deeds here, but he's not talking about deeds of the law. Instead, here, he's talking about deeds of the flesh. He's talking about deeds of impurity. He's talking about the kind of deeds that are endorsed by our sinful and wicked culture and society today. He's talking about deeds or works like adultery, cheating on your spouse. And he's talking about works like fornication, having sex and you're not married. And he's talking about works like idolatry, putting the things of the world before God. And he's talking about works like jealousy and bitterness and envying the blessings and the gifts that other people have. And he's talking about works like getting drunk and being divisive and violent and having an uncontrolled temper. Paul says... Now those are the works of the flesh. Paul says that those works don't please God. They don't lead to a relationship with God. They will cost us our souls. They will not put us on a path to inherit eternal life in the kingdom of God. And so sometimes the Bible talks about works of the law. And sometimes it talks about works of the flesh. But go back to Ephesians 2, please. Ephesians 2 in verse 8 again, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, Paul says there, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so there in those verses, Paul talks about works again, talks about works. But he doesn't talk about works of the law. And he doesn't talk about works of the flesh. Instead, he talks about works that no one may boast. He talks about works of merit, works that people might perform thinking that they are earning their salvation. That is the kind of work 
that Paul is talking about there. And that would certainly be a shot at those people at that time who thought that by performing the works of the law, they were earning their salvation. But not only would that be a shot at them. It also might be a shot at a lot of us in this room this morning. It also might be a shot at folks here this morning who believe that just being a good person and doing some good things in their lives. That's enough to please God. If I do some good things, if I'm a good person, I earn my salvation. As long as when I die, the good I've done outweighs the bad well then i'm gonna go to heaven i'm gonna be saved oh i boast i i boast to myself i, f I feel really good because i i give to the poor and i'm kind to people and i come to every church service oh i hadn't missed a church service in 50 years and i read my bible every day and i pray and i come to every bible class i live my life doing those things thinking that because i do that stuff god owes me something God owes me salvation. God owes me a relationship. God owes me a place in heaven. Go in your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 64. If you like to mark in your Bible like I do, I think this is a great verse to have marked in your Bible. This is a fantastic verse. And Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. And Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. The prophet Isaiah says this, For all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Notice what Isaiah says about our, about our deeds. Notice what he says about our works. Notice what he says about our righteous works. Isaiah says that our righteous works or our righteous deeds, they're like a filthy garment before God. They're like a filthy garment before him. They can't earn our salvation. They can't earn us forgiveness and favor with God. Performing them doesn't give us a right to walk around with our chest up and all proud and boastful and thinking we're better than other people and worthy of a, of a relationship with God. What Isaiah talks about there is the same thing that Paul is talking about here. It's the same thing. Paul is talking about works that no one may boast about. He's talking about works of merit, works that people perform, Christians perform, thinking that they are earning their salvation. That's what Paul is talking about. And I'm going to tell you, that's very different than what James is talking about in James chapter 2. Go back to James chapter 2, please. We go back to James 2. Let's get the whole context this time of James 2, beginning with verse number 14. We go back to James chapter 2, and in verse number 14, and James says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give, give what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. 
But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that faith, or see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Notice how unlike what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 2. Unlike the kind of works that men boast about, unlike the kind of works that men do to receive praise and glory for themselves, unlike the works men perform thinking they're earning their salvation, James talks about works of humble submission to God. He talks about works of obedience. He talks about works that perfect faith because they are of God. And God's righteousness. Well, you go in your Bible to Romans chapter 10, because Paul talks about that in Romans, the 10th chapter. In Romans chapter 10, after talking about the Jews of his day or the majority of Jews who had zeal for God, but it was zeal that wasn't with the knowledge of God. After Paul talks about them, he then talks about what their real problem was. In Romans 10 and verse 3, he says, for not knowing about God's righteousness. You see, these Jews who perform works of the law, they didn't really understand God's righteousness. He says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. You see, they were trying to earn something. They were trying to establish their own righteousness. He says they did not subject themselves to what? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Notice how Paul talks about people who did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. How does a person do that? How does a person subject themselves to the righteousness of God? Well, I submit that they subject themselves to the righteousness of God by performing the works of God. By submitting to the will of God. By submitting to the works that God requires a person to perform to become a righteous person. That's what Paul is saying there. And that's the same thing James is talking about in James 2. You see, in James chapter 2, James is not speaking about the same kind of works that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. He's not talking about the same thing. He's not talking about works that men brag about. He's not talking about works men boast about. He's not talking about keeping a bunch of commandments because we're thinking we're earning our salvation. Instead, James is talking about humbly obeying God. He's talking about submitting to God. He is saying that the kind of faith that pleases God is accompanied with obedience. That's what James is talking about there. And that's not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. What I just want you to see is when you look at the Bible as a whole, you're going to find many different kind of works. 
that are mentioned in the Bible. And you got to study the context carefully to see what kind of works are under consideration. But here's our question of application this morning. Here's the question of application. What kind of works are you doing? What kind of works are you doing right now in your life? I mean, right now in your life, are you involved? Are you involved in the works of the law? Are you, are you trying right now to be justified by the law? Do you believe that God requires of you to keep the Ten Commandments? You believe God requires that today you got to tithe. You got to keep the Sabbath. You got to keep the feast days. You, you can even sing with instrumental, instrumental accompaniment because, hey, that's what they did under the old law. Is that your mindset right now in your life? If so, I want to remind you of what Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse number 16. Remember, Paul said that by works of the law, no person can be justified. He also says that if you're going to keep the law, then you've got to keep all of it. You can't treat it like a buffet line. And he also says in verse number 21 of Galatians 2 that if justification comes through the law, then Jesus died needlessly. His death was pointless. And so are you involved in the works of the law? And let me ask you this. Are you involved in the works of the flesh right now? Are you in this building this morning singing these songs, praying these prayers, listening to preaching, giving? You're going to take the Lord's Supper later on today. You're doing religious things. You're doing the things that God says are required for worship. But when you leave this building, you're unfaithful to your spouse. You're involved in fornication. You're having sex and you're not married. You get drunk. You got bitterness in your heart. You got jealousy in your heart. You got hostility and, and envy and enmity towards a brother or sister in this room this morning. You got that stuff going on in your life right now? You got that kind of stuff going on in your heart? If so, then you're involved in the works of the flesh. And those who involve themselves in the work of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so are you involved in the works of the law? Are you involved in the works of the flesh? And are you involved in works that you boast about? Are you involved in works that maybe you boast in your heart about? I mean, in your heart, in your heart, as you sit there this morning, do you really believe that if you keep the commandments of the new covenant, you're earning your salvation? Do you really believe that in your heart? Do you really believe that by singing the spiritual songs, by singing these songs, by giving as you prosper, by eating the unleavened bread and drinking the fruit of the vine, by having perfect church attendance? Do you really believe that by doing that stuff, God owes you something? You're earning a place in heaven. You got a right to boast before God. You got a right to go up to God on judgment and say, you better let me in there because uh, I never missed a church service. If you currently believe right now, if you currently believe that doing good works will earn you your salvation, then understand something. Understand that you are involved in exactly what Paul is condemning in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. 
that's for you. That's you. You are Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. That is what he is condemning in that text. And so are you involved in works that you boast about, or maybe, maybe you're not involved in any kind of works at all. I, I bring this up because usually that is what the misuse of Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 is all about. You, you get that, don't you? You see, usually the main reason why people go to Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, and they, and they abuse that text is because they want to argue that no kind of works are necessary to be pleasing to God. They want to argue that you don't have to do anything, any kind of works to be pleasing to God. Particularly, they really want to argue that you don't have to get baptized in order to be pleasing to God. That's really what it's all about. You don't have to be baptized to receive forgiveness of sins. You don't have to be baptized to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. The people who make that faulty argument only make it because they failed to do what we've been doing this morning. They failed to study the Bible properly. They failed to consider the totality of Scripture. They failed to harmonize Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 with the rest of the Bible. In fact, it is interesting to me that while so many people are quick to try to dismiss the importance of baptism for remission of sins, they're not eager to do that with respect to believing in Jesus. And Jesus calls belief a work in John 6 and verse 29. People are not quick to... Dismiss belief, even though the Lord himself calls that a work, and they're not eager to do that with respect to repentance, and that's commanded in Acts 2 and verse 38, and they're not quick to do that with respect to confessing Jesus as Lord, and that's commanded in Romans chapter 10. Now, all they want to do is they want to get rid of baptism. They want to get rid of baptism. That's the goal they have in mind, and I got to ask, does that describe you this morning? Are you the kind of person this morning that's sitting there not involved in any kind of works because you're not properly understanding what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2. Or are you the kind of person who's doing the works that James speaks of in James chapter 2? Are you the person this morning that's involved in humble obedience to God? You're involved in humble submission to God. You're involved in the same kind of work that Noah was involved in when he got up and he built that ark. You're involved in the same kind of work that Abraham was involved in when he journeyed to Canaan, even though he had never been there before. You're involved in the same kind of work that the children of Israel were involved in when they marched around the city of Jericho or the same kind of work that Rahab was involved in when she hid the spies or the same kind of work that all the people in Acts who became Christians were involved in when they believed in Jesus, repented of sins and were baptized for the remission of sins. Are you involved in that kind of work? Are you involved in the kind of work, not that you boast about, not that you brag about, not, not that you do thinking you're earning your salvation, but the kind of work that accompanies faith with complete trust, dependence, devotion, and obedience to God? Are you involved in the kind of work that James talks about in James chapter 2? I hope so because James says, the Bible says, that kind of work is absolutely necessary. It is absolutely essential. In fact, it is interesting how when it comes to the work of baptism, 
The Apostle Paul does have something to say about that in Colossians chapter 2. And this is the last place I'm going to take you. We're going to get ready to go into our invitation. In Colossians chapter 2. And in verse number 11, as Paul speaks to Christians, people who have been baptized, in Colossians 2 and verse 11, Paul says in him, in Jesus, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God. In the working of God who raised him from the dead. Notice how Paul does call baptism a work here, but he calls it a work of who? A work of God. It's a work of God. It is not something we do to earn our salvation, but it's something we do to submit to God and allow him to perform spiritual circumcision on us by cutting off our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says there. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you need to let God go to work on you. Maybe you need to have faith put with works, faith put with obedience. You need to obey what Jesus says and believe the gospel and be baptized according to Mark 16 and verse 16. And allow God through baptism to go to work in your life by cutting off your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here this morning who needs to put their faith to work with humble obedience, you have this opportunity right here and right now. Come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing together.